0: everybody. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to try to speak slow. My wife gets on to me all the time when she travels with me. Slow down, Joe. Uh, growing up in a big family, you learn to talk fast because uh, nobody took turns. So I'm going to give you two scriptures to start out with this morning. And Matthew chapter 5, now both of them coming out of Matthew, kind of set the stage for what we're doing this week. Uh, my wife and I have uh, been married uh, 41 years and uh, going on 42. Our families were Long-term families, we came from big families. Her father had uh, five brothers and sisters, I mean 12 brothers and sisters, and my father had 12 brothers and sisters. Her mother and my mother had five brothers and sisters, so we came from really big families. Family was just what you did. That was just normal. And uh, so uh, when we got married, we wanted a big family. We made That made us odd compared to everybody else we graduated high school with at the time. What do you want? I want a, I want a big family. I don't want to grow old by myself. When I get real old, I want somebody to come visit me, take me somewhere. Send me on a cruise. (laughs) I'm not being fun, truth. Buy me Christmas presents. Take me to dinner. Come on. Come over. Mow my grass. Do some stuff. So uh, the Bible says parents lay up for the children, children lay up for the parents. And so uh, we were sort of minding our own business Uh, back in 1975. I was working uh, as an engineer in Sykes, Missouri, and uh, just got filled with the Holy Ghost. Man, we're just on fire for God. Don't know anything, but we're hungry. We're feeding on everything and everybody. I'm sitting at my desk one day, and somebody comes by my desk and throws me a cassette tape on my desk, and here, I want to give you this. I said, what is it? He said, well, it's a tape by somebody named Oral Roberts. I said, why are you giving it to me? He said, well, I think you and him think the same thing. I said, what thing? He said, that tongue thing you do. <laughs> now, at the time, I'm going to Trinity Baptist Church in Sykes, Missouri. Tom Gears is the pastor. His sister had been healed at a Katherine Kuhlman meeting. Now, he's Southern Baptist, but he believes in miracles, believes in the baptism. He doesn't speak in tongues himself, but he does believe in it. And so uh, that's where I'm going to church, and uh, I'm spirit-filled, but I don't know much about it. All I know is I can pray in the Holy Ghost. That's all I know. I've never heard of Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland. I don't know nothing except I am praying in the Holy Ghost. That's all I know. Love to do it, sing along on the radio. I can find country music stations, sing along because I was listening to country music, and I got filled with the Holy Ghost. It was sort of an odd event. And so I'm sitting here, and he throws this tape, and I said, why are you giving? He said, well, because you believe the same thing, that tongue thing. I said, what tongue thing? I don't pray in tongues, either." my why. What tongue thing? He said, I watch at lunchtime. I see your lips moving. I got a cousin that does that. I know what you're doing. <laughs> he said, personally, I don't believe in it, but I don't want to throw it away and have some curse come on me, so uh, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> and so I went outside at lunchtime there in Saxon. I had a pickup truck with a cassette player, and I popped it in, and I ate my lunch, and I listened, and basically it was Oral Roberts' testimony, how he built that university. He was just, he used to just be a cow pastor in South Lewis and Tulsa, and said, uh, God was leading me to start something, I didn't know what it was, so I walked for three days over that cow pasture, just worshiping God, praying in the Holy Ghost, and singing in the Holy Ghost, and I'd get excited, and i said God, what am I praying about, what am I singing about? And I'd ask for an interpretation, I'd begin to speak out in English, and I would begin to describe a building, and what it looked like, and where it would sit and what I would do with it. And I'd write it down on a napkin. I had in my pocket, and I'd start worshiping God again. Next thing I knew, I was getting all excited, worshiping God. I said, God, what am I, what am I excited about? Give him an interpretation. I'd kick over into English, and I'd describe another building and what it looked like and where it would sit. And he said, after three days, I had that university laid out on five napkins, and I knew exactly what I was going to do. And so I'm listening to this. You understand? I, I'm, I'm I'm Baptist Baptist. I don't, I'm, all I know is this crazy Methodist got me filled with the Holy Ghost. That's all I know. Now I'm hungry for the Word of God, and I'm reading it every night just trying to learn something. And all of a sudden, I thought, well, maybe this is what we need to do with this. So I went home and told my wife that we had no children at the time. I said, you've got to list this oral guy. This guy's this is something. And so we listed at lunch that uh, evening, that dinner, and uh, I said, we're going to do this tonight. I said, no, we're going to wait till it gets dark, okay? Wait till it gets dark. We'll get in bed, and we'll turn out the lights, shut the door, close the curtains, and because uh, I don't want to be looking at you, and I don't want you looking at me when we do this. And said so we're gonna get in bed tonight and said so we're gonna hold hands and then I'm gonna to count to three, okay, and then I'm gonna say thus saith the Lord. It's some sort of pump primer it gives God permission to reverse the flow once you start praying. And so, so we're gonna do this Holy Ghost thing tonight. She said okay, she's excited because I've never done anything spiritual with her. I mean, we go to church, that's about it. So we got in bed that night and uh, held hands and I said okay, I'm gonna to count to three. Pray in tongues as loud and as fast as you can, that way I can't hear you and you can't hear me. She said fine. So I counted three, and sure enough, buddy, we sheltered down to the cob. We, Shondai, Mote, Who Stole a Mahonda, and every other syllable I could throw out. And we're just flat getting after it there, and I think we prayed about ten minutes. Now, I don't know because this is before digital clocks. And so we prayed about ten minutes. I said, okay, that's enough. We've given God something to work with. I said, now I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord, according to this oral guy. It's, uh, again, I'm going to count three uh, and reverse the flow, and I'm about to pray out of my mouth, according to this oral Roberts guy, the absolute perfect will of God for my life. She said, well, let's go. Let's do it. And so here's what happened. Now, yesterday we know nothing except this, this. So I said, okay, one, two, three, thus saith the Lord. And here's what I said. Now, we're just laying in bed holding hands. I said, thus saith the Lord. One day I'm going to take you all over the country. And I'm going to use you to minister to families, especially to parents. And I'm going to use you to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the children back to the fathers. You'll be known as the repair of the breach, the restored past the dwelling in the last days, Your family's about to be shocked at what I'm about to do in your life. Now, that rolled out of my mouth like honey out of a jar. I'm laying there. I've just finished saying it. I'm holding hands with me. She didn't say amen, oh me, what was that or nothing. She just laid there real quiet next to me in bed. I laid there a few seconds, and I leaned toward her, and I can't see her. It's that dark. But I leaned my head over my pillow toward her, and I said, is that not the dumbest thing you ever heard of in your life? I said, don't you ever tell anybody we did this. This oil guy's a nut. And I threw the tape away. And uh, and so we, we go to Trinity Baptist on Sunday morning, and we're front row people. And we're actually in the second pew that morning, and we're sitting down there. And all of a sudden, this white-haired saint comes walking down the aisle and looks over at me. Church hasn't started yet. We're just warming up. And she looks and says, hey, Sonny, Sonny. I say, yes, ma'am. Sonny, God, dealing with you about the ministry? No, ma'am. And I lied. And my wife pinched me on the leg. and said, shut up. Don't do that. And so... I don't know what's going on, but the next Sunday, we went to the back row because it's hot down front. You don't want to be down front in the service. You want to back off that anointing. So we're on the next of the back row. We're in the middle of praise and worship. We're singing, and you know I've got my hymnal out and just singing along, and all of a sudden, this gentleman behind me tapped me on the shoulder, and I assume he's dropped something. He wants me to pick it up because we're singing. He's like, I turn around and say, yes, sir, can I help you? And he leaned into me. He said, son, got dealing with you about the ministry? No, sir, and I lied again. <laughs> Now, it's a long testimony, but I, I ran from God for about a year and a half, but he chased me down. So, long story short, it took, uh, you know, uh, pretty much four or five years for things to kick in. We finally went to Bible school. It took three years to get through a two-year Bible school. We moved real slow. And then we started teaching parenting at our local church because we realized uh, nobody was doing anything. We were having great services. Our church was running about... 3,000 people on Sunday morning. We're brand new, practically. We don't even know why people are coming. We have no evangelism. We don't know how to witness. It was that crazy charismatic movement. People were just showing up. I mean, suit people, biker people, farmer people. It's like we had a busing program for three years at Grace where we bus kids away from the church to a shopping center about a mile below us because we had no room for them. And so all of a sudden, that wave eventually stopped, and we didn't know why it started. We didn't know why it stopped, and we thought, where'd everybody go? Well, it was just a supernatural move of God. Our job now is to pick it up and do something. But during that process, we noticed on Sunday morning, we had great services, incredible worship, people getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, miracles are happening, people are going on mission trips. I mean, the offerings were just through the roof. I mean, we had three $100,000 CDs just drawing interest. We didn't know where to put money. It's just boom. But from Monday through Friday at church, our rooms were packed with counseling sessions among these freshly born again Holy Ghost filled people. And most of it had to do with the family and their marriage. You know, I know Jesus. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm praying in tongues, but my marriage is falling apart. My kids are going crazy. I don't know. It's like the back door of my house is open. The devil's having a heyday with me. And it began to dawn on us, we're, we need to do something about this. We, we got to We've got to reach them. Evidently, we're, we've got some gaps, you know, in, in, the, in the wall here. And so we said, well, let's start a parenting class. So I went to my pastor. We've got to have a class on parenting. I mean, man, we got kids this crazy. We've got to do something. He said, yeah, we probably need one. Why don't you find somebody to teach one? I said, good. Well, I looked for eight weeks. For eight weeks, among a 3,000-member church, I found people I thought had great families. Hey, would you come teach parenting on Sunday evening, 5 o'clock? Now, I know that's kind of a odd time now, but back then, people went to church on Sunday evening a lot. I said, five o'clock, six o'clock. All you need to do is sit and answer questions there's not even a curriculum. We don't have a book. I've been to the Christian bookstore. Nothing's been written that I can see is worth anything. Would you just please sit down? You seem to have normal kids. Would you just sit down and let the rest of us ask you questions how you got that way? What did you do and not do? And so I found people that looked like they were very stable, and I kept getting no. Would you teach a class on parenting? No. Would you teach a class on parenting? No. So I'll teach on healing, I'll teach on missions, I'll teach on the baptism, but not on parenting. Well, it took about, I don't know how many couples we talked to. I finally said, well, why not? And here's what the guy said. We're not going to teach on parenting because we love our church. Well, then why won't you teach on parenting? Because we love our church. We know what's going to happen. We start teaching on parentings. Our kids are going to go crazy. We're going to get embarrassed. We'll have to leave our church. We're not going to do it. You wait till our kids grow up, leave home, move out of the state, then we'll come teach you on parenting. <laughs> And I went back and told Pastor, I said, nobody's gonna do this. And he said, Well, we've got to start. You're gonna do it. No, no, no. No, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna go to the class. I've I've got two kids. I've already messed them up. I, I'm gonna take notes. I'm going to the class. And he said, No, you've got to do it, Joseph. I'm going to announce it next Sunday. I said, come up with 48 classes. We'll take off for Christmas, Easter, New Year's, and Thanksgiving. I need 48 lessons. We'll put it in the bulletin. You're starting next Sunday, Biblical Parenting 101. Well, I went home and I told my wife, You're not going to believe this. She said, What? I got to teach parenting. She said, well, that's not going to be any good. You don't know anything about parenting. I said, I know that. I said, but I'm told I've got to do it. I've got to start next Sunday. And so we're sitting down eating Sunday dinner before the Sunday night service, and I got a pad. I thought, why? why? I, didn't, I didn't know what to teach. So I thought, well, you know, if I've got to teach it, I might as well teach what I don't know. Because I've learned long ago, you learn by doing something. And I thought, well, if I've got to teach it, what do I not know? So I came up with 48 titles, mostly thinking about what I wanted to know. Title of my first class is Where Do Babies Come From? And I knew medically where they come from. I just thought, What was God thinking when, when babies were born? I mean, what would you think? I mean, elephants come out half grown. You ever seen a baby elephant? <laughs> I and mean, we went to the Tulsa Zoo to see the baby elephant. It had been born. It had been born three days earlier. We'd go up there and we're asking for the, you know, where's the elephant section over here? And we took the kids. We're looking. There's big elephants, little elephants, but no baby elephant. So I asked one of the zoo people, where's the baby elephant? What's in the pen over there with the other elephants? No, we were just there. They must have it put up. We brought the kids to see the newborn elephant. No, it's over there. I said, no, I just was there. It's put up, I guess. He walks us back over, and sure enough, he points to this little elephant. He said, that, that's it right there. No, I mean the one that was born three days ago. <laughs> he said, that's it. I said, you're kidding. I couldn't get that in the back of my pickup truck. <laughs> you mean they come out like that? And I got to thinking, man, that would be incredible if that would happen to humans. I mean, can you imagine going to the hospital because you're going to have a baby? And three days later, you walk out with a 16-year-old pimply-faced killer. Hey, that's my kid. Going to be with us about two years, then they're out of here. But God gives us babies and we don't have a clue what we're doing. I mean, we didn't have curtains on the window. We got to buy Pampers and what? What? God, we're trying to save, but we're all dying and going to hell, and we got to take care of kids. I mean, dear Lord, I won't be able to be a witness till I'm 70. <laughs> but I realized God's got a great sense of humor. so no, no, this is how you're going to learn. You learn by doing, son. And the more you do there, the more you're going to know how to do with other people. And so we began to teach classes on, you know, everything from wetting to thumb sucking to rebellion and discipline and how you get your child educated. And it's like, I realized something. My Bible was full of scriptures about parenting. I never heard any. I just fixed about heaven and hell. Hang on until you get to heaven. Try not to go to hell. That's pretty much what it is. (laughs) But God had a lot to say about families, about relationships, about marriage. And I realized I know the problem. My people destroyed for lack of knowledge. Every class we would have, if you had a class on uh, uh, discipline, the only parents that showed up, parents that want to know how to beat their children legally and not get arrested. You, you had a class and teach your kids about sex. That was the highest attended one. Man, we'd have 100 people show up because they're concerned we don't want our kids having sex and getting pregnant and doing stuff. We'd have a, it, What you taught is what you drew. And everybody, half the psalm, half the hymn, half the problem. And depending on what you taught was what showed up. I thought, well, I think I found out how this works. So we need to kind of cover the whole deal. So we taught that class for some eight and a half years, and And we have a lot of seminars in Tulsa, so we get asked to speak because we're in town, we're cheap, you don't have to pay for us. So would you come teach some classes on parenting? I hear you teach that, sure. So we teach for Billy Joe, for Willie Joe, all the big churches, and we do the conferences every year. Well, I sort of got a reputation. Hey, get Joe. He teaches on parenting. Uh, I begin to teach at Old Roberts University every year at the National Christian School Conference. And they'd bring me in to do four classes on parenting. Wow. Well, you teach on it. You've got a bunch of kids. You must know something. So some well, I know something I can a lot of, I can tell you what not to do I found out a lot what you shouldn't do you know i'm I'm not a perfect parent and so it began to build and finally people began to invite us out and uh, and what God had told me in September 1975 came to pass because it got to where we were going out of course my pastors were recommending it and Joe, you need to go out you can go out Friday Saturday and do seminars so we go to Kansas Arkansas, Texas uh, Missouri every weekend we would load the kids up in suburban and I go do a parenting seminar, you know. course they're sitting there with me ask them they'll tell you the truth this this is what we're doing and how we're doing it and uh so people i realize you know there are lots of healing evangelists and uh you got all kinds of but nobody 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 outside of james dobson would teach on parents. nobody anywhere google it see if you can find somebody nobody will do it yet yeah, that's the only reason God picked Abraham. The reason God picked Abraham was one reason, one reason only, Genesis 18:90. Why did not you pick this man who can't have any children anyhow? I mean, his wife's barren. He couldn't produce any kids. He's too old to do it now. You know, he's lied twice, tried to give his wife away twice. It's not like he's a water-walking saint. <laughs> Why did you pick him? And God said, Genesis 18:90. and I picked him because he'll teach his children and his children's children. What well, good is if I give him something, he'd die with it. I need somebody that'll pass on the faith. The devil knows the church is one generation away from extinction. One generation away from extinction. If we're not teaching our kids, then we'll get to it tomorrow night. We'll, we'll lay it out real good. I'm trying to be real encouraged. I don't care if your kids are 55. The this, this scripture will work. I don't care if your kids. you haven't seen your kids in 20 years. God's word knows no distance. It will work. And so you go back to Genesis 18, 19, you look Psalm 78, God told Jacob, I command you to teach your children to the fifth generation. Isaiah 54, 13, all of our children will be taught of the Lord. Great will be their peace and undisturbed composure. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child. I mean, there's hundreds of scriptures. God said, teach, train, train, teach, teach, train, train, teach, teach, train, train, teach. You know, David Wilson crossing switchblade fame, he wrote the book, you know, Parents on Trial. He said, I used to ask the teenagers in my Teen Challenge program, how would you get involved in this mess, drugs, prostitution, theft? How would you get involved? He said, every teenager gave me the same answer. I got involved when I started to hang with the wrong crowd. He, he did a movie on it. Teen Challenge, how would you? What happened? You become like who you hang around. There are more scriptures in your Bible on friendship than there are on heaven and hell combined. You will become like who you hang around. Well, most kids don't have a friend. They, they don't even know how to make one. Well, the Bible says you've got to show yourself friendly. Then you'll have a friend. You're going to know how to be one before you're going to have one. Well, you have to train children to do that. So I realized I don't want my kid to be goofy and weird. You know, you, I mean, I went to high school. I was a junior high. Who's weird? Weird people are weird. They dress weird, smell weird, talk weird, they act weird. You're weird. You don't have any friends because you're a weird person. You're not supposed to be weird. You're supposed to be salt and light. Go be a blessing somewhere. Leave everything better than you find it. So one of the things we did our kids, I made all my kids go to etiquette class, every one of them. You're going to know how to sit at a table, hold a fork, pass a glass, which side the tea's poured from, when you ask for something, when you don't, how you introduce somebody, older to the younger, younger to the older. I'm going to send you the three nights of etiquette. Not, I'm not going to raise an idiot. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to send you to makeup class. All my kids, when they hit 12, I send them all down to the Dillard's makeup class all day long. It's expensive. You're going to have eight hours. You're going to learn how to put on makeup, how to fix your hair based on your face, shape, size, color. We're going to teach you how to dress so you don't look like Bozo the Clown when you show up at school. You're not going to dress like a street walker, like somebody. We're going to teach you how to dress, talk, walk, sit, and stand. I'm going to empower you to go be a blessing to somebody. I made my kids volunteer. No study hall. None of my kids ever could take study hall. Uh, we, I was blessed because the two big churches all that had big Christian schools, so my kids went there. But I said, you're not taking a study hall. I'm paying for this. I don't pay for study hall. You're taking a class. I remember Sarah, her senior year, she said, Dad, I've taken everything No, You're going to take something. No study halls, babe. No study halls. You study at home. You go to school, you study at school. You're not going to sit there in the class. And so she said, there isn't anything. I said, well, then volunteer somewhere. I said, she said, where? I said, you're an English major. I said, the yearbook comes out late every year. Every year that yearbook comes out late. Go ask the yearbook lady who's the English teacher if you can help, if you can volunteer. So she did. So Sarah went in and volunteered her senior year to help out with the yearbook. And so she's sitting there. She's volunteering, helping out with the yearbook, and she had to learn how to type. Now, Sarah had had typing in the ninth grade, but now she's got to type a lot. Well, they were using a program called PageMaker. There's a 1,000 programs. just so happened they're using the program PageMaker. For a year, she types for the yearbook staff using PageMaker. Now, I'm going somewhere with all this. Hang with me. All of a sudden, Sarah and Jessica are going to go to college. You know, Sarah got half a scholarship. Jessica got a full scholarship on a basketball. Before we got those scholarships, though, we're doing workman's comp and all kinds of stuff, and we're trying to get a scholarship. And so uh, they go to school. Sarah's second year, Jessica's first year. I'm having to write some awful big checks. We don't have any scholarship. We are applying. We're filling out stuff. So all of a sudden, Sarah and Jessica's car, transmission fell out on the way to college. Well, I'm out of town, these calls, the car won't run, she's explained, transmission. Transmission's out, we're gonna put a new transmission in that old car. She said, well, I'm going to have to go get them. And we live way out in the country, so I so said, well, just tell them to wait down there at the baby Center until we can come get them. Hot, 102 that day in August. So they're sitting down there, transmission's out. We're believing Jesus. We've been praying for three years for scholarship. I don't see a dime on the horizon. I don't know what. What? Come on, God, open doors no man can shut. Come on. Divine faith. We're <laughs> pleading the blood, binding the devil, everything. Just praying. I feel nothing, but we're praying it. So all of a sudden, Sarah and Jessica are down there in the lobby of the baby Center waiting on their mother to come pick them up after college that day. And uh, out from the double doors in the maybe Center, because all the offices are under that giant 10,000-seat gymnasium. They're down underground. A fellow student from high school comes walking out the door. And he said, hey, Sarah, how are you doing? How are you doing? What are you doing here? Well, our transmission went out of our car. Mom's coming to pick us up and take us home. We've got to get our car fixed. So he's talking. And all of a sudden, he said, Sarah, didn't you apply for that uh, scholarship for the athletic department last year? She said, yeah, but some professor's kid got it. He said, well, I work for the athletic director. That's how I got my scholarship because he was a great basketball player in high school. And so that's how I got And I, We've got an opening right now, and he's just asked me to set up some interviews tomorrow. Are you still interested in that scholarship? She said, well, yeah. Well, would you like to come down and talk to the athletic director? He's still in the office can I? I don't have an appointment oh yeah yeah i'm as a gopher i can do this you can come down and talk to him right now if you want to bring jessica she can come along they go down they sit down they meet the athletic director for World Robert's university and we've been praying for three years now guys i'm giving you no scripture but you hang on i'm on the here in just a minute <laughs> i need to set this up because if you're not chasing something scripture won't do you better good this is just a plaque on a wall and a bumper sticker it's a weapon you better know how to use it do you understand that the sword of the spirit so all of a sudden, Sarah's assistant for an hour, the athletic director of Oral Roberts University, interviews her. Last questions he asked her, because this is for the sports information department. By any chance, have you ever worked on a yearbook staff? <laughs> Sarah said, yes. Great. By any chance, would you know how to run a pro- program called PageMaker? That's the only one we use here. She said, yes. And he said, well, I see no reason to interview anybody else. You can have the scholarship if you'd like it. I will take it. Well, now, that was great. Well, Jessica, who's this? Well, this is my sister, Jessica. She was an all-state basketball player, three-point shooting champion, state of Oklahoma, but she's real short. And she's trying to get a scholarship with the basketball team. We've sent eight applications in eight weeks in a row trying to get somebody to respond. No response. She's been offered scholarships to NAI schools, but this is a Division I school. Not a response. And so we're just believing God. and We just need an open door. We're looking for some cash. So he said, Yes, she's trying to get a walk on here or just something, try to get a scholarship. So the athletic director says, Well, I know the basketball coach for the women's team. I will call him and have him interview her. The next day we get a phone call. Can you send Jessica in to interview? Now we've been trying for eight weeks to get an interview. All of a sudden we got one because our transmission ran out. We're in a hot (laughs) thing and the thing and the kid. You understand? Watch this now. And so. She goes in for the interview, and uh, Coach Finkbiner's there. said, "Oh!" And the minute he saw her, he bust out laughing. "You're the one!" And what they had done—all the eight one-page applications we kept sending in every week—they had just tacked them one on top of each other on a cork board in the athletic office. It was a joke. Man, this kid's diligent, and they just kept and said, "You're the one. You're the one who keeps sending those applications in." And said, yeah, and he said, "Well, hon," said, uh, "I would really like to offer you a scholarship, but I don't have a need for a five-foot-six shooting guard. I got plenty. I need a six-foot-five center." We just don't have any more scholarships to, to offer. But I tell you what, if you'd like, I'll let you come on the team as a manager, because I'm short of manager right now, and you can work out with the team, you can train with us, you'll learn the plays, you can travel with us, and next year I'll give you another shot to walk on. She said, Man, that would be great if I can just get around the team. He says, No problem. And he fills out a piece of paper and he hands it to her and said, Well, take this over to financial aid. She said, Financial aid? She said, Yeah. I have no scholarships for any basketball players, but I have a full four-year scholarship for a manager. Now, the Bible says you overcome by the blood of the Lamb the word of your testimony. In that 24-hour period, we walked out of there with $74,000 in scholarship money. We've been praying for three years and saw God either told the truth or he lied. The one thing I learned about family, families are a really complex deal. Because we're all so different. God made no two humans the same. Each one of us have a different thumbprint, a different voice print. We're all different. I don't care. If, look, I got six kids. Denise and I are their mother and father. But they all came out different. <laughs> My oldest daughter, she was born. Man, it was like, oh, well, it's like marching through hell and back, learning how to get her to do. And finally, all right, I've learned. I know now. I'm waiting on a second kid. I know what to do. But the hospital made a mistake and it wasn't my baby. It was somebody else's baby because it was nothing like my first baby. And what worked with Sarah would not work with Jessica. Like, what? Who are you? And I realized God's a very creative God. But the word works for everybody. And so, what I want to do this morning is I'm gonna, I call this blessed are the problem solvers because that's what we do. And we, our job is to solve problems and fix hell. That's what we do. So, Matthew 5 9, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is Jesus, and I I really like uh, this. Now, this reads a little different. Verse 9 of Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus said. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Or blessed are the peacemakers, they should be called the children of God. Well, one translation says it this way. A peacemaker is a problem solver. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, solved problems on a daily basis. He fed hungry people, raised dead people. Gave eyeballs back to blind people. What do you do, Jesus? Well, I, I fix busted stuff. What are going to do tomorrow? Fix more busted stuff. I fix busted stuff on a regular basis. I don't gripe. I don't cuss. I don't lose my temper. My full-time job is to bring the good news and fix busted stuff. I am a problem solver. Blessed are the problem solvers. You and I, the Bible says, we feed the hungry. We give water to the thirsty. We nourish sick people back to health. We visit people in prison. We help orphans. We have, what do you do? We fix busted stuff. We don't gripe about it. We don't thumbsuck about it. We fix busted stuff. It's what we do. Now look over at Matthew chapter 16. I like this. Um, Jesus has got the boys up uh, north of the Sea of Galilee. And they're just sitting up there. It's been a busy time. They're veterans now. I'm going to jump in at uh, verse 13, Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, sitting beneath Mount Hermon right there, he asked his disciples, he said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Whoever you are, you're a formerly famous dead person who's come back (laughs) because you're not normal. You know those 5,000 Happy Meals the other day? That's not normal. That water walking in that storm, that's not normal. You are not a normal person. You're a formerly famous dead person who's come back. Well, he says, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being." Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That's an incredible statement. Now basically here's what Jesus is saying. I'm giving you all the authority. You have it. Adam had authority over this planet. He was to rule and reign over planet Earth. When he sinned, Satan became the legal god. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is the legal god of this planet. Temporary, his lease is running out. He's going to boil forever in hell. He knows it. Right now, he's just mad throwing a fit. John 10, 10, he kills, steals, and destroys. So all the time dealing with family, and pastors shared it, and we've heard it. Everybody th- What's God doing? Because everybody thinks God is all-powerful, all, everywhere. All that if it happened, God must have allowed it. No, God's not in control of this planet at all, none. Jesus is Lord over me. He's not Lord over this planet. If Jesus is Lord over this planet, he's doing an incredibly sorry job. Hospitals are full. Orphanages are full. People are dying. There's wars. There's famines. There's hatred. There's murder. If Jesus is Lord, he's not a very good God. Well, that's because he's not Lord over this planet. He's Lord over us. Satan became the legal guard over this planet when Adam sinned. Now, the lease is running out. He understands that. Now, you and I are not part of his kingdom anymore. We've been born again, taken out of the kingdom of darkness, planted in the kingdom of God's dear son. I'm still on an alien planet. This world is not my home. I am passing through. You understand that? This is not my home. But I'm here. That's why I have armor and weapons and so forth to put on. Now, I'll give you a couple things to try to illustrate this. I'm trying to help my kids because once I got born again in filled and got in a great local church, because let me explain something. Two things last forever. The body of Christ, the word of God. Everything else is going to disappear. going to be a new heaven, new earth. You and I last forever. The word of God lasts forever. So you got to want to put time to things that are going to be around a long time. So here I got my kids and I realized, man, I need to, man, I'm learning stuff. I got to make sure I pass this on to them. So y'all understand what's going on. You don't blame your teacher or your coach or your boss or your neighbor or your in-laws. Nobody's your problem except you. You understand? God surrounds you with a shield of divine favor. No evil come near your dwelling. All those scriptures are true. Well, if they're true, why? Because you have to use your faith. You've got to use your faith. It's, it's, it's a weapon. So I went back and I said, listen, now, when I was an engineer, I wasn't a normal engineer. Now they call me, people said I was an electrical engineer because I worked for three different electrical companies, four years each. I love my job. But I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm what they call a process engineer. Or in college they call it a manufacturing engineer. What kind of engineer are you? Well, I'm a manufacturing engineer. What does that mean? Well, I engineer processes. I control, govern, improve processes. I'm a process engineer so when a company hired me they hired me to do two things number one my job is number one is quality control i better make sure that if you go down to lowe's or home depot and you buy a box of our product that wire better do what that box says that you better not be lying i'm to make sure you're not lying about what you're selling that that does exactly what you said it does but the second part of my job was i have basically one year to improve that product a year from now, that product better be better. It better, be a better product, and it better be making more profit for them. I am to improve the process. I am a process engineer. So God trained me for ministry in the secular world. I'll be honest with you. So I realized something. That's my job. Now I remember I got a call about two o'clock in the morning. I was living in Sykes, Missouri, triangle wire and cable, and uh, had an old building, big, long building. They built uh, uh, planes there in World War II. And they'd shut it down, economy went down, cheap concrete, and a big company from New Jersey came in and brought their people out trying to find, you know, cheaper labor and whatever. And so they moved their company to the Midwest, good, hard-working farm guys. But the concrete's so cheap, so we'd bolt these big new machines down and they'd vibrate and bust concrete. We're having to re-epoxy and put everything into the floor. So I'm there, and our biggest machine is called the rod breakdown machine. It's the back of the plant in a corner about 30 feet long 12 feet high it takes huge copper rod and breaks it down into all sizes of wire that we make all of our product with it feeds the entire plant 2 a.m i get a call joe you got to get in here the machine's not running it won't run and so okay i'll be there in just a little bit so i got in there and so i'm looking at it and i asked the basic questions okay you check the breaker flip the switches reset buttons we've done all that joe now the foreman's there the plant manager's there Joe, so you got to get this running. If this thing doesn't kick in, we're going to have to lay everybody off about two days from now because it's going to shut this whole plant down. This machine's got to run. So the thing i do, and I always did was, and this is going to sound so simple, and I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence, but I'd say, okay, somebody find me the manual that came with the machine. And, and they do it every time. About 90% of the time, they had no clue. What? This is a half-million-dollar machine. It came with a handbook. A blender comes with a handbook. A lawnmower comes with a handbook. Everything you've ever bought comes with a handbook to tell you how to use the thing you bought, okay? And so they said, we don't know. I said, well, and so they went in the foreman's office that sat in the middle of the plant. It was in the bottom drawer of an old filing cabinet, still wrapped in the plastic, had never been opened. <laughs> so the best I'm ripping it off. So I'm just standing. They're all staring at me, so I'm going go, and I automatically open to the index. What are you looking for? Well, the, even half-million-dollar machines have a chapter on troubleshooting, now they're looking at me. They're not looking at the book. They're just looking at me. And so we doing what well, I'm looking. I'm looking at troubleshooting. And so I'm looking. There it is. You know, breaker on electricity. yep, yep. I don't know if it's number point four or point five. It said is machine plugged in. <laughs> now they they can't. They don't know what I'm reading. They're just watching me read it. So I closed the book. I handed the guy said give me just a minute. And so I walked over and it's against the back corner wall. So I walk over and it's oh, it's there's probably not a foot fourteen inches there. And I'm looking down this thing. Of course, it's dark, and I can see tobacco spit and paper cups and trash. They just throws i I'm trying to look for the plug. I'm not telling them what I'm looking for. Look for the. I can't see it. I'm talking, great. Now I was much skinnier back then. And I turn sideways. and I ease my way down that thing. And I look down the back hallway, and sure enough, I could see it halfway down. That two twenty plugs hanging halfway out of the wall. So I turn sideways. They can't see me. They're out there. I work my way down. I get to that plug, and I, boom! I kick it in. When I did, boom! Well, it's running. Well, it took me almost a minute to work my way back out. <laughs> when I got out, hey, where'd I go? That's no problem, no problem. Tears up again, call me. You got my number. And I sent them an invoice. Now, you can think that's bad, but that's what I do for a living. If you're not going to do it, you pay me to do this. You don't want to do it, you can write me a check to do it. You could have done it, but you don't want to do it, you can pay me a check to do it. And so we fixed it. Now, the reason I tell that story is so simple. Everything came with a manual. You, you and I came with a manual. Most people don't read the manual. Oh, they think they know the manual. They misquote the manual. They quote it out of context, but nobody reads the book. We came with a book. I love about you, Pastor? Man, he's talking about the book. You need to know the book. Why? This is how we live. If you try to run something outside the book, you're going to bust it. I mean, when I was a kid, we, we were just, ignorant you know, old redneck country boys. You know, you get a pickup truck, we're going to mess it up. We're going to jack it off the ground, put elephant tires on it, cut the muffler off so you can hear it's coming down the road. We're going to put a roll bar on it. It wasn't designed for a roll bar. We're going to put one on there and just in just case we do roll it over. It's just going to bust it. It won't roll. It's sitting too high off the ground. I mean, you understand? And I remember we'd rip the sleeves off our shirts, you know, and shove the back in our mouth and wear a hat backwards. I guess it's to keep getting the sun down on your neck. I don't know why we wore a hat backwards. We're to use a nothing the way it was designed because the sin nature don't want to do what's right. And so I realized we need to find out what we're supposed to be doing. Now, when I became a school administrator, I realized uh, I loved high school schools, just a lot of potential. But I realized high school students are real different, and uh, most people didn't want to teach them. So when I got hired on the church staff, uh, <laughs> they said, Joe, by the way, you're in charge of two things. You're in charge of intercessory prayer on Monday night, and you're in charge of the high school chapel. Really? Yeah. Well, how often do you have chapel? Well, every day, you know, every school day, 175 days a year. So you got 50-minute class, 175 days a year. I said, what? You got a book that goes to this? No, it's chapel. Just use your Bible. Do I got to come up with 175 sermons? Yeah, you're going to need one tomorrow. It starts tomorrow. <laughs> it didn't take but about a week or teaching high school students. You know, I say, okay, turn to Joshua chapter 2. They couldn't find Joshua from John. They don't read their Bible. And this is a Christian school. These are Christian, spirit-filled Christians. And they can't find Joshua. They can't find John. Why? You're not reading it. You want to be Christians. You're not real ones. And I'm supposed to be teaching well, they're bored stiff. I thought, we got to change this. So I changed chapel, and I cut it down from 50 minutes to 30 minutes. And believe it or not, I yeah, forbade them. Don't you ever bring your Bible to class, ever. You bring your Bible, i will send you back to your locker. Don't you bring your Bible in here. You're not reading it on your own. You're not going to read it in my class. You're just going to listen to me. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm just going to teach and so what I would do is I went to the local Christian bookstore and I bought a book called Eggermeyer's Bible Story Book by Warner Press. It's still in print to this day. The great Baptist lady in Oklahoma. She's in her 80s when she wrote it. Wrote every major story in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. She converted into a one-page modern English version. Gave okay, the chapters and the verses, and here's the one-page modern English version of that story. I love that book. Now I, I use that book. I went through it 10 times in 10 years. People used to ask me. What did you learn in the Bible? So, well I went to Rainbow Bible Training Center for a couple of years and went to ORU for three summers, but that's not where I learned the Bible. I learned the Bible from Eggermeyer's Bible storybook. I read it ten times in ten years. I went from Genesis to Revelation ten times in ten years. When you read the Bible ten times in ten years, you kind of get the big picture. God good, devil bad, people stupid. <laughs> so we're trying to reach an ignorant people. That's why teaching is so critical. It's just critical. So, when I'm going, I brought him in, and I just, I just do monitoring. I'd read my chapter and verse. I'd read my Bible verse, and I'd walk in, and I'd just walk in with nothing in my hand. Well, today we're going to pick up and talk about Jeremiah today. Anybody remember where we left off? And they'd talk, and then I tried to never finish. I tried to leave them hanging every day. Okay, that's all we've got time for today. We'll pick it up tomorrow. And they said, well, what happens? Well, we'll pick it up tomorrow. Yeah, but what happens? You know, don't you? Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you. Class is over. We'll pick it up tomorrow. If you want to read it, Jeremiah chapter 4, read it yourself. And I tried to provoke them to read their own Bible on their own time. Because if I have to keep feeding you, you'll never know how to feed yourself. By the time you're in high school, you ought to be feeding yourself a lot. But they weren't. So there were other things I would do. For example, money. Trying to convince a kid he needs money when he has no concept of money is a tough thing. Because mom and daddy, evidently, if you're in a private school, mom and daddy's got some money, evidently. They're taking care of you. You know, you've got Color broad screen TV, you got the latest britches to wear. you going on a date. Your daddy gave you money. Your mom put gas in the car. You have no concept. That's why most of our kids fall flat on their face the minute they leave high school. They were never trained. They were spoon-fed. You know, before 1934, the word teenagers, not in any dictionary, didn't exist until 1934. You were a kid, you were an adult. You were a kid, you were an adult. But we've created no man's land (laughs) you're a teenager you can't work or drive just hang out and see how many stupid things you can get into and we wonder why we've got the challenges we've got so i had this one class i made them think that's called a biblical worldview and so i did this one week brought them in and um, brought all my seniors in i said here's what we're doing this week Uh, we're going to give you a chance to learn something about money we've been teaching it. i don't think you're getting it so we're going to show you something I'm giving everybody a dollar today. Everybody gets one dollar. So you come up, sign up, and you're getting a dollar. You have until Friday to do something with this dollar. I don't care what you do with it. I'm going to give you an A regardless because that's not the point. I don't care if you go over here to the lunchroom and you buy a moon pie and a Dr. Pepper. I really don't care. You'll get an A. But the goal is to see which of you might want to try to do something with that dollar and see how creative you can get because everybody grouts about the economy. Economy's bad. Economy's bad. Economy's always been bad. I'll be glad in the good old days. What good old days? I taught history for years. There were no good old days. <laughs> we're going from faith to faith to glory to glory. What are you looking for? And so I gave them a dollar. So Friday they come back, and they all had to come up in front of everybody and give a report. Okay, so we extended the class to two hours. Okay, come up. Okay, show us what you did with your dollar. Bring the receipts or show us what you've done with them. Well, some kids did. They went to lunch, and they bought a Twinkie and a Dr. Pepper, a Moon Pine and a Dr. Pepper, and they giggled about it. Great. Have a nay. Sit down. Well, there's this one kid who came up, and I make fun of this. Uh, his father was Jewish. His mother was you know, charismatic. It was a real odd combination. Had real thick glasses. Played no sports. So he came up, and he came up, and so what did you do with your dollar? And he had a stack of $1 bills that thick. He had 117 $1 bills. He came up on purpose. Laid them all day because everybody's making. You're lying. There's no way. You know. I said. I said, Tell. Turn around. And tell us what you did. How'd you get this? He said. Well, I took the dollar that you gave me on Monday, and I went and bought some penny candy. And I came back and sold it for a quarter on Tuesday. Went and bought some quarter candy. Sold it for a dollar on Wednesday. Long story short, by the time I got that autographed football on Thursday, I went and sold that and I bought a ten speed bicycle that used a ten speed bicycle. I sold that Friday morning for 117 dollars. And so I turned. I said, "Now, guys." When you come back for your 5, 10, and 20-year high school reunion, you want to look him up. <laughs> now, he probably won't be here. He's going to be, you know, in the Riviera somewhere, but he's going to be doing good because he took $1 and got 117 You know, that's a pretty good return. If that was a stock, I'd buy as much as I could. You twinking Dr. Pepper people, God bless you. <laughs> and what happens is we've not trained our kids, and the other thing is, There's no such thing as, I hate to do this, there's no such thing as a 40-hour work week in the Bible. It doesn't exist. You work hard, sun up, sun down, and sometimes in the night. I mean, we've been through things in our life. I worked three jobs at one time. What are you doing? Trying to get some money. I realize you get paid for two things. We'll cover this uh, some tonight. You get paid for two things on this planet. You get paid for what you know and what you can do. If you don't know more than somebody else, you can't do more than somebody else, you don't get paid more than somebody else. On top of that, I shared yesterday, is America has a 33% dropout rate. 33% of our high school students will not graduate. One-third. The richest, most educated nation in the world, one-third of our kids will not finish school. So what is do you think you're going to do out there, big boy? I just get ugly with people because I grew up in poverty. I grew up in dire poverty. I know what it's like not having nothing. You know, and after a while, and we always blame the rich people. Why you support rich people have all the money? Stinking rich people got all the money. Stinking rich people. We hated rich people. We blamed them all for our trouble. We were company people. We worked for the company. Company minds stinking rich people. Until I realized one day, <laughs> how'd they get rich? Well, most of them are born poor. And I realized rich people weren't my problem. I was my problem. I wanted to be a rich person, not blame rich people. How people get money? Well, you don't work. You don't eat. Work at what? Whatever you can. And so I realized, based on my paycheck, I didn't know anything, nor could I do anything. I, I need to go learn something. Now, I made my daughters do this. Didn't make my son. All my daughters had to go learn 10 key. I sent them to a local junior college, paid $39.95. You're going to go for 10 nights in the summer. You're going to learn 10 key. Calculator. You're going to learn how to do it. You do it one hand, the left hand. 10 key. If you can run a 10 key, you can get a job at any bank in America making $18 an hour. Anywhere. You're going to work in air condition when it's hot. You'll work in the heat when it's cold. And you'll work around people who have money you won't be working as a short-order cook, somebody yelling because you got their number five wrong with the Dr. Pepper. Now, I'm not against that. I worked, I worked short-order stuff all my life. I worked hard, kitchens and stuff. So I told my daughters, when you go get a side job, you're going to get a job at the bank. Doing what? Dressed up real nice. You're going to dress up. You're going to have to talk, sit and walk, and count money. My second daughter's an accountant. When she got out of college... Uh, She went to work at Bank of Oklahoma, went through five interviews. (laughs) Five interviews. And she realized this is good. Five more interviews because going higher. Finally got the vice president. vice president interviewed her and said, Yes, we're going to hire you. Jessica's thrilled because it's going to be great because we've been working some not good jobs. She is thrilled. I got my degree in accounting. God's been good. I worked hard. You know, it took six years to get a four year degree because we had to do a lot of night school. And so I'm here and I'm going to make this paycheck. And the lady said, Jessica, do you know why we hired you? She said, well, I guess because I've got straight A's in accounting. No, hon, this is commercial banking. We don't hire people unless they make straight A's. We we don't hire them. "Uh, Well, I guess because I have good people skills. I come from a big family. I have good people skills. No, hon, this is commercial banking. We don't hire people unless they have good people skills. (laughs) Do you know why we hired you? And Jessica said, she said, I'm trying to impress her, and I don't have a clue. No, ma'am, I don't have a clue. She said, because you scored the third highest on the 10-key test of anybody we've ever interviewed. So Jessica came home, and she said, I I, I got the job because I had a $39 course versus a $70,000 education. (laughs) And I tried to tell people, I told my son, my son's taking welding classes. He's taking carpenter classes. What are you doing this summer? Where are you going to work some manual labor stuff? But the more you know, the higher up the pace you go. So go learn something. Learn how to do something. I don't learn that. Then you're going to have nothing. Now, this is it. Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom, become the servant of all. You need to learn how to serve people. That's what we want to do. Now, I'll give you these scriptures right here. These are, uh, I I like these. These are going to be real basic. And then uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We'll do these two real here. We'll pick this up tonight. Ephesians chapter 6. It says, I'm blessed if I'm a problem solver. What are you going to do? I'm going to fix stuff. What? Stuff that doesn't work. How are you going to do that? Well, I have to learn. Every day I'm learning something new. Every day I want to learn something new. So I always ask my kids, you know, what's God showing? If, I talked to Jessica late last night, and my, I do it every time they call. Them. They're adult kids, you know. Jessica's thirty and married and uh, got two businesses and a great family. I said, "What's God told you lately?" She, and now they used to ma- they hate this. What? What's God told you lately? And she used to I, I well, like what? I don't care. I'm not God. What's He told you lately? Now the reason I'm doing this to make a point. If you're, if God hadn't told you something, it's because you're not listening. You're real busy and you're not listening because God speaks in a still small voice. If God orders your steps, directs your path, you, you got to be listening. If you can't tell me He's told you something, you're not listening because God's talking all the time. So it's like you got to kind of almost put the pressure on. So here's what I've told them because kids came in one time, you know the. News has always got something. I remember years ago, they had the big uh, earthquakes in Yellowstone. Did y'all see that? It was on CNN two days in a row. Bad earthquakes in Yellowstone. Yellowstone just shaking. And, of course, CNN reported this is the same place where the earth, a third of the earth got destroyed two million years ago. Again, we weren't there. Somebody was there and took pictures, I guess. I don't know. But supposedly, (laughs) real bad earthquake, you know, volcanoes exploded, and one-third of the earth was destroyed in Yellowstone. Well, it's shaking again. Same fissure. It's going to explode again. They say they don't know when. You know, of course, California's going to drop off in the ocean. You know all this stuff. And so they came back. Dad, did you see the news about Yellowstone? Sure did. Amazing. Incredible. So what do you think? You know, like, like, what should we do? I said, I think we need to rent a Winnebago and drive out there and see it. And we did. Not that year, the next year. What? Yeah, I, need, I want to go see it. I want to see that thing. Oh, we don't want to go out there. No, we do, babe. Trust me. We want to go see that thing. I said, listen, <laughs> you and I are living in the church age you understand what the church age is? It's us. We're busy saving the lost, dying world. It's real busy right now. Hell's coming, but not while we're here. Until we go home, there's stuff to do. It's being set up. Spirit of Antichrist is here. I mean, they're setting up for a one-world government, one-world economy. It's being set up, but not yet. We're here. And once we're gone, it'll happen, but not now. So we're going to go see that volcano. I'm going to go see that volcano. i want to watch that thing and see if I can feel it rumble. I'd just be excited because it can't come out of the ground until I'm gone. They, you can just take that as, as worth. And so I used to tell them, said, listen, guys, you're on an alien planet. This planet's a great place. It's 8,000 miles wide. It's really not that big. It's just, a, you know. I mean, there's 93 billion known galaxies. Billion, billion. Now, Hubble's still finding more. 93 billion. Now, we're in the Milky Way galaxy. We're in the Milky Way galaxy, and it's not the biggest, not the smallest. We're mid-sized. It's about 100, 200,000 light years wide, depending on where you measure it. Now, light year, uh, light year, that's how fast light travels in a year. Uh, light travels 186,000 miles a second. 186,000 miles a second, gone. If you could get out here in the parking lot and shoot a bullet out of a rifle, if it traveled at the speed of light, it would circle the earth seven times, come across the top of your head before you can get your finger off the trigger. Boom, it just circled the earth seven times. The speed of light. Well, the speed of light, a <laughs> light years. is how fast that light moves in one year, not one second. I'm trying to help you here. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. At the smallest, narrowest part, it's 100,000 light years wide. That's how light will... At a, if you could get out here on the interstate, get your car up to 186,000 miles a second. Now go buy McDonald's and get you something to eat because you're going to be out there a while. <laughs> you get out there, you get that car up to 186,000 miles a second and maintain that speed. Woo. <laughs> It'll take you 100,000 thousand years at that speed to go from one side of the Milky Way galaxy to the other We're one of 93 billion known galaxies. It's a really big place. God made that. Hallelujah. The God that we pray to, oh God, oh, can you help me God? I don't know, maybe he's handicapped. I don't know what he's, asleep, take a nap, maybe he's at lunch. I don't know. We pray to God like he can do nothing. God made the universe. God's got the hairs of my head numbered, the days of my life numbered. God knows exactly what's going on in my life. Yet, there's more people singing sad songs like, do you understand what's going on? You're on an alien planet. This world's not your home. You got armor. You got your armor on? What armor? Well, let's give you, I'm going to give you these three things right here. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, in New Living Translation, uh, says a final word. Now, if you read through the epistles, the devil's an afterthought. <laughs> He's an afterthought. He's never on an equal plane with God, with God, the devil, heaven, hell. No, no, they're not equal. They're not remotely close. Man. When Paul wrote about it, when Peter, he, the devil's almost in the last chapter every time. And by the way, a word about the devil. <laughs> he doesn't start a chapter. You better be afraid of the devil. He's an afterthought. So here it is, in Ephesians chapter six, when he gets around to him, verse ten says, now a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Now, I did this to my kids on a Thursday night. I should have done it in the daytime. I was trying to say, okay, now, now you understand, the, the devil's devil, he's plotting and planning, and he's strategizing against you. Well, what did I do? Nothing. You were born. <laughs> we are just here. He's an equal opportunity to hate you. He hates everybody the same. It says this, uh, against all the strategies of the devil, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, who? Evil rulers. And authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now, if I had time, there's five levels of de- demons. Five levels. When the loose, when, listen, when Satan got cast out loose from men, he's got levels of boys working for him. Uh, the spirit prince of Persia, Daniel chapter 10. What is it? They said, where you been? Well, the spirit prince of Persia, a big demon, held me up. We've been wrestling for three weeks. I'm not making that up it's real there's a war going on now I'm not going to get to it till this morning I'm going to get to it probably Tuesday when it's not about your family if you're not praying nothing's going to happen God's not a human he doesn't feel sorry for anybody God feels sorry for no one nada pity does not move God if pity moved God I will say again he's doing a sorry job if he's moved by pity because there's a lot of stuff to pity only fate moves God Without faith, you don't please him. Faith is the word of God. i got to remind him. He said he watches over his word, not the stuff I'm going through. I've got to give him something to work with. And so I'll tell the family, you got to start praying what the word of God says. you gotta, you got to say something. He says this, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy. Everybody say resist. Amen. One more time, say it. Amen. Resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, look, he's talking about fighting, resisting weapons and levels of demons. Good night. For she's put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be able to be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith, to stop, the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, I know I'm throwing this at you really quick, but you hang with me here. I love reading stuff about... uh, the apostle Paul and the world and stuff, because I've tried to tell my kids, what's going on? I said, well, the world's going on. It's the Bible. It's in here, and there's great scriptures on it. Now, give you two things right here. <laughs> this is a, I, you can download this on my website for free, because somebody said, well, I don't understand what's going on. I said, the world's going on. There's the devil. He's got enemy, and he's there after you, strategize, he's strategizing, plotting, planning. Your job is to resist him in the faith. Now, this is the apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, prayed in tongues more than anybody. I'd say that's pretty holy. He got mad. He's got a letter from the Corinthian church, and they're thumb-sucking about what's going on. Paul, oh, it's hard over here, Paul. You know what I'm going through. And he can't stand. Paul finally, Paul never gripes about anything, but he finally had it up to, I guess, here, and so he writes him back. Really? You having a hard time? Really? Hmm. Well, I wasn't going to share, but let me share. So this is what he wrote back, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Here's what he said. So you had hard times? Well, let me tell you what I've been through. Five times I was beaten with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned to death. Woke up, walked back into town the next day. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole day and night adrift at sea. I've traveled many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. I face danger from my own people and the Gentiles. I face danger in the city, danger in the desert, and danger on the sea. I face danger from men who claim to be my friends but were not. I have worked hard and long during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I have the daily burden of my concern for the churches, and the governors got guards looking for me to kill me. And like, they didn't write him back. <laughs> and what Paul, of course, you got to read. The, the point Paul's trying to make is, what, what seems to be your problem? What, what the hell? Well, do you not know? Now I'm, I hate doing this, but I'm going to do this to you. This is, a, this is my list I gave to my kids gr- called Grumblers Complainers. This is the book of Jude, starting in verse 14. And I just made a list. What's going on? Well, here's what's going on. In the last days, this is what Jude wrote. There will be people who will be grumbling and complaining, living only to satisfy their own desires, bragging loudly about themselves, flattering others so they can get stuff out of them, scoffers whose purpose it is to satisfy their ungodly desires, people who will create divisions among you, follow their natural instincts, and they do not have God's spirit in them. Hmm. Second Timothy says this, Chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. In the last days, difficult times will come. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud. They will scoff at God. They'll be disobedient to parents. They'll be ungrateful. (laughs) they'll consider nothing sacred they'll be unbelieving unloving unforgiving they will slander others they'll have no self-control they will watch this they'll be cruel and hate what is good they will betray their friends they'll be reckless and puffed up with pride they will love pleasure more than love god they will act religious but will reject the power that can make them godly stay away from people like that (laughs) what stay away from them i thought we're supposed to help well they're thirsty give them water they're hungry, give them some food. If they're in prison, go visit them. But stay away from them. You and I will become like who we hang around. There is an old saying, you tell me who your friends are, I'll tell you who you like. Siren strike, sirens with the countenance of a friend. Go from the presence of an angry man, lest you learn his ways, get a snare for your soul. The Bible's full. Passionate a great teaching about friends, I'm telling you. you got to watch, but i got to know how to be friendly. So what do you... If you don't read this, you'll think, well, what's going on with the world? They're going pretty much to the hell in the handbasket, they say. What do you want? I'm the answer. Christ to me, the hope of glory. I'm a problem solved machine. We ought to get up every day with this attitude. We ought to wake up in the morning, and the devil ought to break out in a cold sweat. Oh, my God, they're up. But we get up, and all we want to do is turn on the news. I wonder what kind of hell happened while we were asleep. The Bible says you ought to feed on the Word of God first thing, not the news. You ought to feed on the Word of God the last thing, not before you go to sleep. God said he gives you sweet sleep. Well, not if you listen to the news all the time. Watch this. I love this one. This is, uh, this is uh, uh, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, Jesus, what's going to be like when you come back? Well, there's going to be a lot of calamity going on. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars, famines, and earthquakes. Should we go hide in a cave somewhere, join a commune, get some beef jerky, and a generator? No, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Luke 17, when he closed out the thing in Luke 17, here's what he said about that Luke 17. He said, listen, the last day is going to be like the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. People are going to be eating. Watch this now. They're going to be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, buying, selling, building, and planting. Unless Jesus lied, he said, until the day I come back, it will be business as usual. The day I come back, most people will be shocked because they're not looking for me. There won't be some massive famine, war. Oh, he said, they won't even be looking for me when I show up. You better be watchful and pray when I'm coming back. So the reason I teach this to my kids is like, quit worried about stuff. Get out and do what you're supposed to do. Go be a blessing to somebody. Go be a blessing to somebody. I'll give you two more here, two more. Look at Daniel. Show this in Daniel. Daniel chapter, uh, let's see here. Let's jump in at chapter, chapter 10. Daniel's been praying for three weeks. He's got the scrolls. He's realized Israel's supposed to be going home. And so he's praying, God, I think we're supposed to be going home. Why aren't we going home? And so he's praying, and all of a sudden an angel shows up. Boom, hello, Daniel. Here's what he said. I'm going to read this New Living Translation, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Then the angel said, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day. Everybody say first day. First day. Say it again. i trying to make a point here before we go this stuff tonight. Since the first day you prayed for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. Daniel, we heard your prayer the day you prayed it. When did you start praying it? Three weeks ago? When did you hear my prayer the first day you prayed it? Who heard? Everybody in heaven. We heard it. Wrote it down. It's in a bottle. Where you been? <laughs> it, says, what? it says, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future and that which uh, the vision concerns for a time yet to come. Now basically what I want to bring out this this, there's a lot of stuff in this in Daniel, but he's saying, hey, guys, I was bringing the answer, but there, there's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, five levels of devils. There's a war going on. You need armor, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, help, you know, there's stuff. Quit griping about what's going on. I just read in the last days, perilous times will come. Maybe lovers and pleasures more than lovers of God. Heady, high-minded, trees-breakers, unthankful, unholy. This will be the dependence. What's going on? The devil's having a heyday. It's his planet. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. John 10.10. 10. He's the God of this world. He's creating hell. Well, what's going on? He's creating hell. <laughs> your job's to go fix it. Go help somebody. Go be a blessing to somebody. Put a smile on your face. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Woo, how can I help you? But no, somebody come sing a sad song. And I'm from the South. People love to break. You can't, I haven't been through this week. I don't want to hear it. They got a sad song every time you, my relatives are calling. I oh, my aunt this morning. You just don't know what we've been through. Uh-huh. Well, I think it's the same thing I heard last time I talked to you, but go ahead and let me know. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you don't get in this, what's going on? Well, God told us, Jude, 2 Timothy 3, Matthew 24, Luke 17, the last days. The devil, 2 Corinthians 4 4, John 10, ten. Last day is the devil. Who are you? we're the bride of Christ. Christ is the hope of glory. We're the head, not tail above, and not beneath everything, can set our hand to prosperous. We sleep sweet at night, angels of God camped out round about us. We're surrounded by divine favor. People like us don't even know why. <laughs> Just why they make you not know why media makes fun of the church? They think, that's the dumbest thing we ever heard. That's cause you're lost as a goose and going to hell in a handbasket. You don't see this. You're blind. Only people that know that. That's why we ought to be excited about doing this. So he talked about it and said, What happened? Well, I got held up for 10 days. Now, I'll leave you this one scripture. I like this because what happens is once you realize, when I did this to my kids, you better know what's going on. What is it? There's a war going on. God watches over his word to perform it. That's why, you know what they call the praise. You ever wonder why we call it the sacrifice of praise? It's a sacrifice of praise. You know what that word means? It means you're going to do it and you don't feel like it. I don't feel like singing. I'm not going for the singing. I'm coming for the meat. I'm coming for the meat of the word. I ain't coming for all that sissy singing. Well, the Bible says God inhabits praise. Now, that's why you're not doing so good. You're skipping the sissy singing. Because <laughs> God loves praise. He inhabits praise. You've got great worship, by the way. You want to you do what God says. So I told my kids, we're living in the last days. If we could have been at the beginning and God could have said, Joe, when would you like to be alive? When would you like to live? You want to come here with Adam and Eve? No, thank you. That's going to go bad. They're going to get fired from their job and evicted from their house. Their kids are going to start killing each other. No, don't want to be there. Would you like to be with Noah? Big boat. You like boats? Love boats. How about that? No, no, bad boat. No, no, bad boat. No rudder. No motor. One year. Smelly animals shoving stuff. No, thank you. Would you like to be born when my son comes there? Silent night, holy night, we three kings of Orinor. Would you like that? Nope. Nastiest time of human history. They're going to nail people across the 70 miles either side of Jerusalem. No, thank you, Father. <laughs> when our son, are kind of running out of time, you got to pick some time you want to be born. But, <laughs> well, Father, if I could choose, if I could choose, I would like to be alive in the last days when your spirit's going to be poured out without measure. And you're going to be turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. We are the bearer of good news. I want to be in the belly button of your will in the last days. I want to be when hell's trying to rip the most, I want to get in the middle of it. Come on, let's go do something. <laughs> Just a thought. But what happens is if, you, if you're not in a local church and in the Word of God, your mouth will reflect what's in your heart. I tell people. I shared yesterday. i get you in a five-minute conversation, I'll mark you. We learned this in, in, in heathen business. How do you mark people? Get them gum flapping. Ask them questions. Don't talk about you. Ask about them. Humans love to talk about themselves. So learn some questions. How you doing? Where you been? Where you from? What's going on? And they will empty their whole brain on the table. And once you find out what they're concerned about and what's going on, you can sell them something they need. That's a salesman's deal. That's, it's biblical, but it's, we ought to be that smart. We're trying to do? help people in trouble. How do you know they are going to talk to them. Ask questions. Go hang out. Go be a people person. Shake somebody's hand. Hey, how you doing? And mean it. And ask. Because what happens if you don't stand the word of God, i told my kids, if you don't stand this every day, you've got to have a daily devotional, great local church, volunteer. Your church should never lack for manual labor, ever. Because I reap what I sow. So I told all my kids are adults. They all pay their tithe because they said, if you don't pay your tithe, you're going to be broke. Now, I'll just... I'm moving around here, but hang with me. My five daughters, one of the prerequisites for who they married was was several things. Number one, you've got to be born again in spirit filled, and in church on a regular basis and volunteering somewhere. But one of the things I required for all the men that married into my family, I want to see your last 12 months of bank statements. You have to bring me your last year's bank statements and put them on my desk. And I tell them, and and they know because my daughter set them up. I said, you know what I'm looking for now? I'm looking to make sure you're a tither. You cannot marry my daughter if you're not a tither. Because if you're not a tither, you're under a financial curse. I don't care how educated and hardworking you are, your finances are cursed. You're not a tither. And I don't want my daughter to marry a financial cursed man. Because 20 years now, she's going to look like she's been drugged down the interstate behind a bumper of a car, wore out trying to support your sorry self because you're not a tither. And so my second daughter's wedding, recently I had two weddings in seven months, because she should have, my second daughter should have been married a year earlier, loved my son-in-law, much as my own son, loved this guy. But when we brought his statements in, I said, now, son, I, I may be misreading something, but you're a seven percenter. <laughs> he said, what? Yeah, you're not a tither, you're a seven percenter. I don't know what the name is for that. There's a name, I don't know what it is, but, <laughs> but it's not a tither. I said, son, I need you to be a tither. I mean, full ten tithe. I mean, it's biblical. He said, oh, man, I'm sorry. And he was so sincere in the person. Man, I'll take care of that. Good. Praise God. That's good. But so let me say what that's going to have to do now. We're going to have to postpone the wedding for a year. Now, I'm serious. I grew up in poverty. I'm very serious. You're not marrying my daughter until you prove you can tithe for a year. You bring your bank statements where you've tied 10% plus some giving and supporting others for a year. Then you can marry my daughter. I'm going to pay for your wedding, send you on the honeymoon. Kumbaya. I'm going to be Santa Claus upside down in your chimney. But not until you're a tither. Do you understand what I'm trying to do? This, this, tells, this is the instruction manual. And so I'll leave with this thought. I hate leaving with the negative. But here's the children of Israel. God's been trying to bless them, but they were in rebellion. I want to bless you. But they went in rebellion, went down into Egypt 400 years down there, broke as dirt, messed up. You know, I mean, it started off real good when Joseph went down because there were 30 pharaohs. You read the history of, history of Egypt, 30 pharaohs. Uh, 27 were city kings. Three were country kings. When Joseph showed up was sold down there, was the first of the country boys. And so when Joseph went to deliver and to interpret the dream and all the stuff, the vision thing he had, they understood, oh, so you got sheep and cattle. I got sheep and cattle. Hey, I like. It. I'm going to give you boys the land of Goshen because I was a farmer too. I know what it's like to work the land. And Joseph got blessed because the Pharaoh was a shepherd king. Three shepherds later, the last shepherd king died, city king took it back over. Hate shepherd people, low lie. And all of a sudden, the pressure began to build on Israel. And for, I mean, those oh, 400 years, it was bad. And only when they cried out to God did God send a deliverer. Why don't you wait 400 years? They're not asking for nothing. Jesus said repeatedly throughout the New Testament, I know what you need before you ask, but I need you to ask. Why? It's a legal situation. Prayer's not religious, it's legal. Prayer's not religious, it's legal. I know what you need, but I can't give it because I'm not allowed on that planet unless you invite me. A human has to invite God down here. Amen. Oh, you ought to get Amen. that in you deep. Yeah. Yeah. They make you pray all the time, and I keep a list. So all of a sudden, he's finally saying, finally, we got to deliver him. They cry out to God. Moses is born, raises up, delivers them. red seed, drown all the Egyptian army, manna from heaven, you know, air conditioning in the heat, heat when it's cold. And they get to the promised land, and they get over there, and And all of a sudden they said, well, we need need to send some spies in. God never told them to send spies in. God's trying to give them the promise. You'll live in houses you did not build, eat from fruit you did not plant. You're going to be blessed. I want to bless you, thumb-sucking babies. I want to bless you because I draw them believers out of my goodness. They get over there and decide to send the 12 spies in. God didn't say that. They did. They come back, and you know the story. Ten had an evil report. Two had a good report. And so that's what was the lie. Well, just like God said, man, big old houses, grapes the size of your head. We got some right here. It's just like he said, but there are giants in the land. Ten foot, two inches tall. Six fingers, six toes, bad bread. Nasty people. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. We ask them, that's what they said. No, they made that up. But Joshua and Caleb saw the same thing they saw. No, no. No, man, it's just like God said, we're more than able. Let's go around and whip that bunch and take that. It's, let's go. we got to go right now. Let's go. No, we can't go. And so the people believed the evil report instead of the good report. Now, for 400 years, God's been trying to get them to respond to Him. For all these walking through the desert, he's been trying to bless them, be good, water out of a rock, kumbaya, yada, yada, yada. And finally, 10 times, now you can count it, you can read through numbers, 10 times Israel was so mad at God, they said, oh, that we had died in Egypt. Oh, that we had died in Egypt. Oh, I wish we'd have died in the- Oh, we just die right here. We just wish we just dropped dead. I'm not making it up. (laughs) So here's my last passage for today. Numbers 14. God's mad. He's talking. Jump down here. Oh, gosh. Let's just jump here. Verse 22. God's mad. He said, not one of these people will ever enter the land. Not one. They have all seen my glorious presence, the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give to their ancestors. None of these who have treated me with contempt, watch this now, will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me. How did he remain loyal? With his mouth. Loyal how? The others went in. Yeah, what made him different? His mouth. We are able. We are able. We are more than able. We can do it. We are able. Well, you've seen what's going on, how bad the economy, and you don't know the doctor's report and what my husband said. You don't know. We are able. We are more than able. Now watch this. Remain me, so I will bring him into the land uh, He explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go toward the land where the Amalekites, Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints. Watch this now. I've heard the complaints about me. Yes, I've heard the complaints. The Israelites are making against me. Now tell them this, and here it is. Tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I have heard you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. People make fun of them, name it, claim it, confession people. This is just one of hundreds. God said, what are you going to do? I'm going to give you what you say. Is that your will? No, my will was the promised land. Live in houses you didn't build, eat for vineyards you didn't plant, and just be blessed. That was my will. been telling you that for years. But. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you what you say. It's critical of what we believe. It's critical that we're in church. You know, when you go to Israel, church lasts 24 hours. They have a party. They bring food. They dance and twirl. Now, they all smoke. That's a smoke a bunch of as much people I've ever seen. But <laughs> the butter, they're singing to God and twirling. And they think it's just a great thing. And then when church closes out at sundown on Saturday, All the Jewish families will get in a circle, whether they're in a kibbutz or a big hotel. The fathers or the grandfathers get all their family in a circle. Let's all get in a circle, hold hands. And then the senior elder of the home, whether it's the grandfather or the father, will walk around and lay hands on all the kids. This is how they close out every church service, as we would call church. He lays hands, and they're speaking in Hebrew, and here's what they're saying. May the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you as Ephraim. What he's saying is, may the Lord make Ephraim and Asa. may the Lord make you spiritually strong and economically creative. Can you imagine if your entire life, every Sunday, your daddy laid his hands on your head and said, I want you to become spiritually strong and economically creative. Not, you're not gonna mount to hell of beans. You're dumb or dirt, and I'll be glad when you're out of the house. Life and death. Orthodox Jewish people still practice this. And I was sharing yesterday. Jewish Americans make up 2% of the population and one-third of all multi Well, they're just blessed. No, they're not. They train their kids different. They expect to do well. 25% of all doctors in America are Jewish. 25% of all medical doctors in America are Jewish. Why? When I was playing ball, they were going to school. Well, They expected to. They were a man at age 13. I wasn't a man 13. I didn't become a man to 18 legally. I could smoke, drink, and get drunk at age 18. You know, that's what threw us in the army at the time. So they, a lot of them if you got them. And I remember thinking, what happened? Nobody taught us. Nobody showed us the instruction manual, who we were in him, in whom, and in Christ. But I think we're getting another chance right now. I think God's spirit's being poured out without measure. God's going to redeem the time. I don't care what the devil stole from you. God's going to make the devil pay back seven times. I think we're in for a year of redemption. I personally believe that. I tell you, this is going to be a great year, guys. It's a year of redemption. What's God waiting? Somebody to ask him. You don't earn it, you just ask. Let's stand up and we're going to pray. We pray three things over your family, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your stepkids, your foster kids. Three things I'm going to pray. I'll tell you what they are. We're going to do it with our eyes open. Uh, Psalm 3411 Hearken to me, children, come to me, and I will teach you the fear of God. I will teach you the fear of God. fear of God, Proverbs 9, 10, is the beginning of wisdom, and the fear of God, Proverbs 1, 7, is the beginning of knowledge. I don't want ignorant, unwise children. I want wise children. There's four kinds of children in Proverbs, wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. There's this dozen scriptures for each one. I don't want a simple-minded kid, I don't want a foolish kid, and I don't want a scornful kid because life does not turn out good for you. I want a wise child. Where's it come from? Fear of God. So I pray it every day. Father, teach my children to fear you. Number two, Psalms 512 says, I will surround the righteous with a shield of divine favor. So I'm going to pray over all your children, grandchildren, stepchildren, foster. God, surround them with divine favor. May people look at them with a new set of eyes this week. You're going to walk with suit. They're going to like you and not even know why they like you. Then the third thing I'm going to pray is Proverbs 27, 17, as iron strikes, iron, so the countenance of a friend. You and I will not grow unless we get around people better than us. You know the great honor I have when we go to 80 churches a year doing seminars every year is meeting people like your pastors. I mean, you just can't imagine. I mean, you sit there and think something. You think we've got kind of a conversation. No, I am eating lunch right now. i got notes, and sometimes I can't write in front of them because it's embarrassing. But there's Okay, i got to remember that. I've got to remember that. Because things they've learned, things they've been through, things they've overcome, it's like you learn, you strike iron by getting around other people. As iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. You know what happens when iron strikes iron? Sparks are flying. What is that? That's metal that was keeping you dull and ineffective that a friend just helps sharpen you up on. You don't grow unless you get around other believers. Thus the local church. So with that in mind, i will going to confession. Just say this after me with your eyes open. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I thank you, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. It, sets free, it sets me free and it keeps me free. Jesus. According to your word. I ask, you, I ask you, watch this, you've got to believe it. I ask, you, I ask you, teach my family, teach my family to, fear to fear you. you. Surround, my Surround my family with divine favor. Divine send, send to my family to my godly friends, godly friends, godly godly friends that will strike, that will strike and iron cause and cause us to grow in Jesus, name. in Jesus' name. Now that's God's word. He watches over it to perform it. More than two of us said it. I believe angels are flapping right now to bring that to pass. May God teach our families to fear him, give us divine favor, and godly friends. If you'll just say that one short prayer a day, you're going to unleash heaven into your family's life, your children's life. Otherwise, you get what I get from my... Oh, I don't know what's wrong with them. I did everything I knew to do. I just don't know. You just never know how they're going to turn out. I do. My seed in Psalms 112 will be mighty upon this planet. Wealth and riches will be in their house. Their righteousness will endure forever. God said so. I say what God says. I don't care if you've been locked up in June well five times and you're under the county jail. My seed will be mighty upon this planet because I fear God. Wealth and riches will be in their house because I fear God. And their righteousness will endure forever because I fear God. Amen. It is a promise of God. God said, come on, somebody somebody, get after it. For 400 years he was begging Israel, somebody ask me something. I'll give you stuff if somebody would just ask me. And they cried out to God and God sent a deliverer. Amen. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for this great local church. Great grace be upon all they do this year. Make them one together, not only as members of the body of Christ, but make them one together in their homes. I ask for a spirit of unity, a spirit of joy and laughter to come upon them. May this be a year of jubilee for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Praise God. Pastor.